0: and get 10% off your plan.
2: First of all, it's being aware that there are differences. Specifically in Europe, it's very fragmented. Also maturity levels from a market perspective differ a lot. In some markets, you have double-digit share of online sales. And in the FMCG category, in other markets, you are like on 2-3%. So also the importance of e-commerce differs a lot. It is important to be aware that you need to tailor the approach to the market specifics. When it comes to priorities, you start with fixing fundamentals and then you go into more advanced capability building. Addressing those country needs based on their maturity level is also super essential.
3: Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero, and this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, it's funny how many times you and I come back to one of the first things that you did when entering this space, which was start to benchmark e-commerce maturity at different organizations around the world.
1: I think if we go back to even our first episode when we talked about our superpowers, I always felt like one of the things that I love doing is connecting the dots between where consumer behavior is going and where marketer readiness is, where brand readiness is, and making sure that you can help them align both their understanding and their ability to grow as those opportunities continue to manifest themselves. So that e-commerce maturity curve, it's still not just withstands the test of time, but it helps people better understand where they sit and what needs to be true as e-commerce becomes a bigger percentage of their revenue, whether directly or through
3: the role of digitally influenced sales. Here we are in 2023, and it feels like most organizations understand that there's something called e-commerce fundamentals, right? So essentially making sure you have your Content, your retailers, your price packaging, your promos, your benchmarking in terms of digital shelf and search, unlock. That's the brilliant basics. And then, in order to accelerate growth and, of course, make profitable growth, you then layer on top things like retail media and social commerce and quick commerce and video commerce. And all of a sudden, the world seems pretty damn complex. Yeah. And
1: then Multiply that by markets and retailers and all that other fun stuff. And when you've got a little market where e-com penetration is relatively low, do you need to answer all those questions? And when you've got a market that's more mature, do you need a separate e-commerce department to answer those questions?
3: And I think it all goes back to business objectives. We all can't be great at all things, but understanding what's the most important objective you're trying to achieve. And then what are those growth levers that you can use to help achieve that?
1: And that helps dictate kind of where your market is going. I think retail media is a great example. of The whole idea that retail media was not a capability that most organizations were ready for in 2020, no surprise. In the meantime, it's a gazillion dollar business right now in the US. And you know, you're seeing a ton of fast, accelerating momentum in Europe how do you then upskill? Like, how do you take those same principles and then determine where do you upskill? Where do you bring in the outside? Do you need a
3: COE? Things like that. Yeah, I think one of the moves that we're going to see organizationally is historically, I saw a lot of folks that were working in the Chinese market got promoted to global roles because of the econ maturity that was in China. Since so much of the ecosystem is now starting to become about media, commerce as media, one of my bets for 2023 and beyond is that you're actually going to see folks in the US market where retail media was more mature, get promoted into those global roles as capabilities start to move across the rest of the world.
1: It's a great point. Well, I have to say our guest today, Boris from Henkel, is so adept at being able to understand the needs of various markets as well as where the puck is going. And I'm so thrilled that he can share some perspective of how he's moved throughout the CPG world and what does it mean to be leading e-commerce at a European headquartered global
3: CPG. Well, on that note, let's bring Boris onto the show.
1: Boris, after years of talking, it is so wonderful to have you and to connect you with all of our audiences. Thanks for joining.
2: Thank you so much, Rachel and Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for having me.
1: The pleasure is all ours and our audience will soon find out why. Let's start talking about you, Boris. You came up into the CPG world, various brand marketing, sales roles, before making that jump into e-commerce. How did you end up in this role today and recognize that this is the right space for you to thrive?
2: I really like to challenge the status quo and learn every day. And this is what you do in e-commerce all the time. And this is also the consistency you can see throughout my career. So I started in brand management, like probably many of us, and I think it's a solid base. You learn how to develop the product, you learn how to create content, manage the media. But at one point, I was super curious, hey, what's happening there? What does it take to best-in-class execute the products in-store? Because I was wondering, hey, guys, what's going on with you uh, salespeople? We said we want to have this product on eye level on shelf. Why is it not happening? Oh, where's my promotion? So I said, okay, let's figure that out and move into a sales function. So I had the opportunity to become a key account manager. And soon enough, I learned, well, <laughs> it's not that easy to get the product on shelf because there's someone uh, called the buyer and you need to convince them. And there's something like a trade story. There's something like negotiation. But in the end, I really enjoyed it. Like making things happen, also making sure that we don't only have great products, but we also have a great execution in store. Ever since I stayed in sales and various sales functions, uh, I moved into international trade marketing also in the US. And that was actually the first time I then got in touch with e-commerce because in trade marketing, we thought a lot about what does best execution look like. But then like seven years back, I think when e-commerce also started to become very important in the CPG industry, we were thinking, okay, what are the right KPIs to measure best in class execution online, And then I led a project on digital shelf tracking. We rolled out the first uh, digital shelf tracking tool by the time. And I really liked the topic because it was something very new, disruptive. And I had the feeling, okay, this is where the future is heading. This is the kind of skill set we need to be successful and further drive the business. And ever since I stayed in e-commerce, and I must say, I'm super glad that I had also the opportunity to get my experience in brand marketing. And also in sales, because on the one hand, when you're managing Amazon, it's important to understand, okay, how do I create a best looking content? On the other hand, when you manage a brick and click account, you need to understand, okay, what needs to happen to partner with those clicks and clicks to get your execution through? It's pretty similar to the offline environment huh, in, in those accounts. And this is how I ended up in e-commerce. And I must say, I like it. And it's not the end of my journey.
3: It's certainly not the end of your journey, at least at Henkel, because we... We understand that there's a lot of change that's happening there. While the organization wants to keep up its momentum in e-commerce, how are you balancing e-commerce growth against the backdrop of change at Henkel?
2: Well, it's a good question. First of all, it's an opportunity because everything around e-commerce is related to change. And as we have probably all experienced working in e-commerce functions, It's not always the easiest to convince the organization that change is needed, that we need to do things differently than we might have done it in the past. Well, now Henkel is changing a lot anyhow. And therefore, we have now the opportunity to make sure that e-commerce continues to play an important role in that change.
1: Can you give some context to our audience who may not be reading all the press releases about the changes that Henkel's making?
2: Sure. Originally, in general, we had three business units. Henkel managing, on the one hand, beauty care business with some of the well-known brands like Syros or Dial. Then there's a laundry home care business with the brands Purcell or Brev, and we have a large artesis business. So what we did over the previous year is merging two of the business units. So those the beauty care business and the laundry home care business is becoming one. And that's just the change we are going through.
1: Yes, this has been uh, really fascinating. And so with all of those different changes that have been happening, people are not just widely considered to be a super valuable, if not the most valuable asset to an organization. But with the combination of everything that's changing in e-commerce and the combination of everything that's changing at Hankel, it's got to be really hard to make sure that you're continuing to give your people, the teams, the things that they need in order to be continuously learning and advance their capabilities. How do you go about doing that in your role as global lead?
2: So I think it's managing different stakeholders. On the one hand, you need to manage the senior leadership, make sure, coming back to the organizational change, that we have a common understanding on the right organizational structure to be successful in e-commerce and that we have the right strategy in place. On the other hand, obviously, you have your e-commerce teams around the globe. And there it's important to listen to stay close to the markets and understand what are their pain points, where are they struggling in order to be able to win in the e-commerce environment. And this is what we are doing a lot so far at the moment. We're running a huge survey where we are connecting with the markets to get kind of a status quo assessment to be then able to cluster markets on specific needs, because you have very different maturity levels. Yeah, so there's no one fits all and see that, for instance, markets where they're just starting or e-commerce is not that developed yet, that we enable them to fix the fundamentals, get the right products in place, making sure that content is available, those kind of things. When you're talking about more mature markets over the previous year, retailer media, for instance, is becoming more important and more sophisticated. So obviously you need that capability to efficiently manage it. So therefore, with the more advanced markets, you're working on that kind of capability. And from my experience, when you listen to the markets, you address their needs, then they are super excited to learn and drive that business. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming
0: film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Use code Adweek for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.
3: You touched upon some of the critical e-com capabilities. For those who work brand side like you, how do you suggest they approach taking stock of what their current capabilities are, where they are in that maturity curve? and then the work that needs to be done to become competitive. What's the right approach to take?
2: I think it's always important to talk to people outside the organization. Maybe talk to friends in some of the non-competing CPG companies, understand how are they doing it, learn a bit from them, map uh, what are the kind of jobs which need to be done in order to be successful in e-commerce, and then see what best fits to your organization. In general... There are two approaches I've seen. So either you build like very large e-commerce teams where you have all the capabilities in place and e-commerce team who's managing the content, uh, the retailer media, who is also working on e-innovations, managing accounts. But at one time, I would say not sustainable anymore because you can't build an organization within the organization. Right? So you need to start back integrating all those people into the organization to become a fully integrated and drive digital commerce in general. If you do not want to build a huge e-commerce team for reasons, another way of doing it could be, okay, make sure that in the various departments where you have jobs which need to be done, to give you an example, retailer media management does not have to be managed within an e-commerce team. It can be also managed from a media team, but then you need to have someone owning it and having the capability of doing it. And this is just one example. The same would be true for content creation and marketing, and this is how I suggest doing it.
1: How do we think about watchouts, right? like The more you democratize and ensure that you empower the more mature markets, what are the watchouts that more mature markets should be looking for as they aim to take on some of the more advanced capabilities from a COE?
2: The watchout I mentioned before, staying close to the markets. Don't come up as a global team. This is what I also learned with ideas you have not discussed and talked about to the markets because then it's not appealing and you're more or less disconnected. When it comes to capabilities for advanced markets, also thinking ahead of time a little bit. So what are, let's say, the the future growing e-commerce channels? Who knows where we go with quick commerce, for instance, and making sure if you are in a mature market where quick commerce already plays a role that you address it and you come in with insights and you come in with with a playbook or you come in with valuable upskilling programs where they can benefit and they feel that they can have an impact to effectively managing their local business.
3: We've talked a lot about sort of the the fundamentals and the more advanced capabilities. In terms of the future, you've mentioned retail media, you have mentioned quick commerce. What are the other big capabilities that you're betting on for the future?
2: Well, for the future, I'm betting on leveraging the AI in e-commerce. I think it will play an important role specifically in content creation. Mm. On the one hand, in text creation, but also on the visual creation, the assets. When we think about creative AI and those kind of things. Mm. And in that area, I think everybody should start testing and learning. We are not there yet. I mean, right now, AI is not writing our content yet, but I can see this happening within the next years.
3: At Micmac, it's already writing our content. So I completely agree. It wrote our questions for this episode, no?
2: Nice. (laughs) I'm
1: kidding, I'm kidding. We wrote it all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. Listen, I think one of the things that's been awesome about working with you, Boris, is the way that you collaborate with your partners. I personally am very thankful for the partnership. As you think about other suppliers, what advice would you give to them on how to take stock of their capabilities and facilitate better ways of working as well as partners like us because I'm sure those folks are listening not our competitors don't tell our competitors what to do
2: <laughs> okay I well a key asset is always aligning it through all the organization in the level or regional level so when partnering this is also great that uh, we have with you sarah that it's not only a great collaboration on a global level it cascades down to the regional level and to the local level because in the end it has to be all connected there has to be always one story one strategy have to be the same priorities in order to be successful in managing the business
1: so boris you know one of the things that i've always enjoyed is how connected you are with the various regions so that when we're working with you in the us for example it's a single market, but there are so many different retailers. And so the complexity kind of goes into the the different nuances within the retailers. But if we work with you in the European markets, each market has its own set of nuances. You talked about clicks and bricks and the difference between click and collect in France is so pervasive, whereas last mile delivery is so pervasive in the UK. How do you think through those nuances as you lead globally?
2: First of all, it's being aware that there are differences. And specifically in Europe, it's very fragmented. Also, maturity levels from a market perspective differ a lot. In some markets, you have double-digit share of online sales. And in the FMCG category, in other markets, you are like on 2-3%. So also, the importance of e-commerce differs a lot. Then the size of the markets in general differs. And accordingly, also the size of the organization you have. In a large market, you can afford certain headcounts. You can afford a headcount managing the Amazon business and you can afford a headcount managing the bricks and clicks or being responsible for content. In some of the smaller markets, it doesn't work uh, with the PL if you keep adding headcounts to manage the e-com business. Therefore, you need to find the right people within the existing organization taking over additional responsibilities. So therefore... It is important to be aware that you need to tailor the approach to the market specifics. And also when it comes to priorities, I was mentioning before a little bit that you start with fixing fundamentals and then you go into more advanced capability building. Addressing those country needs based on their maturity level is also super essential.
3: Well, between all the changes that are happening at Hankel and e-commerce at large, it seems like you have your hands full. Boris, what's the bravest thing that you've ever done?
2: Yeah, the famous question about the bravest thing. It's a long time ago. I was 16 and I made the decision to become a foreign exchange student moving to the US. And I can still remember the feeling when I was walking through the gate in Germany as a Düsseldorf airport. And I realized, wow, that's the moment where you see your parents for the last time for a long time, for over a year. It was tough. It was the first time ever I flew. And also the first time ever I was away from home for such a long time. And on top of that, I kind of hit the perfect zone because everything went wrong. So the flight was delayed. I had to spend the night at the airport in Paris. On the way to the US, they lost my luggage. So I arrived. I didn't have a luggage for a while. I was there. They, they didn't have the right host family. I couldn't go to school for one month. And so it was rough specifically for 16-year-old. But in the end, I mean, I stayed positive and there are always solutions. There are always uh, ways. And after months, I found a perfect host family. I ever since had the best time of my life being there. And I think what it did to me was like hanging in, be resilient and being aware. Times can be super tough, but if you stay positive, there are always solutions and it will will get better again. And yeah, throughout my career, also when times were rough, I always had the feeling, yes, I can manage.
1: Love it. I have to tell you, I I recognize this has been the first time. You have such a multicultural mindset and it just sets you up so well. I didn't know about this foreign exchange uh, student situation, but whatever it is that you got out of that first year and that brave step, clearly played a role in how attuned you are to various cultures, not just the U.S. I see how you interact with so many of your peers in the different markets, and it shows. So your intellectual curiosity and worldview really plays so well. So thank you so much for sharing that
2: with us. Thanks a lot, Sarah.
1: You know, hearing Boris's bravest thing is really interesting, but not surprising because he really does bring a global perspective to everything he does. If you're looking for further insight into what it takes to lead a global team, whether you're headquartered in the US, whether you're headquartered in Europe, whether you're headquartered in Antarctica, I would encourage you to listen to some other recent episodes of Brave Commerce, whether Neil Aurora at Nestle, Chan and at Johnson & Johnson, Tony Navin at Kraft Heinz. All three of them give very different perspectives because there's no one size fits all. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please share it, give us a rating or a review, and like us on uh, LinkedIn.